1: This is Unquote, the least contentious peanut gallery in history. I'm Cooper Powers. Welcome back, y'all. We've got a twofer this week. Both number 45 and 75 on AFI's Top 100 Movie Quotes list comes from the Tennessee Williams play A Streetcar Named Desire, which was adapted into a film for the big screen in 1951. It starred Vivian Leigh, Kim Hunter, Carl Malden, and the young Marlon Brando, all original members of the Broadway production. Vivian Leigh portrays Blanche DuBois, the oft-panicked former proprietor of the Belle Reve estate in fictitious Aureole, Mississippi. Despite her misgivings about lowly social status and practiced airs of propriety, she is a tortured character inside and out, and hides behind a smoke thicker than anything found in a bourbon street bar. Marlon Brando imbues Stanley Kowalski with both charm and unnecessary cruelty. His brutish nature and petulance extend into his interactions between the Dubois sisters, not to mention his strange familiarity with Louisiana marriage law. The lines this week offer two very different styles of delivery. Stanley Kowalski strikes his wife, Stella, when an argument gets heated. Stella seeks refuge in the upstairs neighbor's apartment and Stanley teeters after her from his sobering shower. In a somewhat biblical allusion to grief, with his ripped and tattered clothes, Stanley stands at the base of the staircase and wails, Hey, Stella! Hey, The line is repeated at the end of the film, with harsher implications and circumstances. Blanche Dubois's line comes near the very end of the film, having suffered a nervous breakdown at the hands of the merciless Stanley. Blanche utters, depended on the kindness of strangers to the gentle doctor as she is carted away to a mental institution my friend callie and i saw the movie in new orleans this week and she offered her thoughts on kindness love and why both may be a bit overrated in blanche's case <laughs>
0: <laughs> Drink more. I, it's
1: fun. I have my friend callie on the unquote podcast today She was kind enough to come in and talk to me about the 1951 movie, A Streetcar Named Desire. And we went and saw this last Thursday? No, last... Sunday, Sunday, that's right. We went and saw the matinee, because they had a special old-timey screening. And we're going to frame this whole thing by saying that we both live in New Orleans, Louisiana, which is a fantastic city. Vibrant in culture, rich in heritage, all of the above. But the main thing is, is that when we went... To see the movie, we went and saw a matinee, and we went and saw a matinee at the Prytania Theater in New Orleans, which is... Callie, do you have any idea what the Prytania Theater is?
0: I don't know how old it is, but it's like the only old school one they have left. Yeah. They actually yeah. just redid one on Broad or something. Yeah. But yeah, they used to have a streetcar running in front of it, which the guy mentioned, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a second. <laughs> they have a streetcar statue outside of the theater... That is painted with Stanley from the movie, mm-hmm. and it says Stella mm-hmm. on the streetcar in big, in
1: big kind of bubble letters. Yeah, yeah. We took a streetcar. Well, we didn't take the streetcar. We, we walked on. We, we we walked on the streetcar tracks, which is basically the same thing. Saved a buck twenty five, and <clears throat> we walked a couple blocks down to Prytania Theater, one of, if not the oldest theater, single screen theater in Louisiana. Um, I'm feel pretty confident saying that. And then, uh, during the before the screening, the owner of the Prytania Theater came down and he said a few words. And uh, yeah, so we went and saw it. And then the movie started. So, do you have anything like right off the bat that like any first impressions? You'd seen the movie before, right?
0: Yeah, I've seen the movie and read the screenplay. Okay, because I love Tennessee Williams. He's one of my favorite authors, and he's from around here. Yeah, and um. What the owner said that he is friends with the guy that lives in Tennessee Williams' old house on Domain. Uh-huh. I mean, it's not my favorite Tennessee Williams thing. I like, this, pro- this property is condemned more. Mm-hmm. But um, I love A Street Crime Desire because it's like a character. I think it's a character study. And to me, character development, which is lost on modern movies, I think, <laughs> is really important. And um, like... They really only focus on, like, Blanche, Stanley, and Stella. Right. And even the side characters, I think they show enough of their lives that you can really kind of... Yeah, like,
1: understand. you even grow attached to Mitch a little bit, as you okay. see more of him. Mitch, the poor, sad, understudy. Daniel
0: told me he won an Academy Award for the movie. For Best Supporting Actor? Yeah, and I was like, what? <laughs>
1: um, I mean, it makes sense. He had some decent screen time. The lines in question are... Um, we, we have two on the list. We're, we're doing a two for You are part of the first... <laughs> unquote two for episode da, 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 da. give a little fanfare be excited about i'm it. honored you're honored. honored good i'm honored to have you here and the thing is is that the first one that made it further up the list was vivian lee's uh, i've always depended upon the kindness of strangers and the one that's a little further back is stanley kowalski marlon brando shouting stella hey stella i've always depended on the kindness of strangers came towards the end of the film And uh, we'll we'll get to that in a minute, but just to kind of set up of of what the movie's actually about, you know, Vivian Lee, you don't realize at first, but she goes to New Orleans, she crashes with her sister and her sister's husband, and what did you think of, like, the set design and stuff for the movie? Like, the first thing I noticed was they had dividers in the rooms, which is, if you spent any amount of time in New Orleans and gone into any kind of ramshackle house, I wish you could see Callie's face right now. (laughs) Any kind of ramshackle house. As a matter of fact, I have a partition in my room as we speak. It's kind of. I a, have a
0: curtain in my house. Yeah,
1: everybody has curtains in their houses. They got that very true to life.
0: I like the set design. I think it start. I think it starts off with like the train station mm-hmm. and the fog or the smoke. I think it was.
1: And you see a streetcar slowly peel through the mist mm-hmm. uh, as the title cards pop up.
0: I think it got a really good feeling of New Orleans for that time, like mm-hmm. the atmosphere, the kind of misty, hazy, like dirty grittiness of like 50s new orleans
1: new orleans is certainly all and of those like things. it's
0: still all of those things yeah so i like the scenery and like the apartment with it's kind of run down it's got the high ceilings yeah like all the new orleans apartments yeah they talk about how hot it is which is <laughs> a reality <laughs>
1: i haven't been here in the dead of summer yet i've only been here for maybe half a year so i've, I've gotten the, the very blissfully cool weather so far. And you guys have AC. It's in whatever capacity it counts for, it's not really that great. But one th- another line that struck me as kind of funny was uh I think it was Vivian who said um, I'm not dressed uh, I'm not properly dressed for the occasion. I think Mitch says, "Oh, that don't make no difference down in the quarter." And you know, that was pretty That's
0: funny. true. That was funny. Everyone in theater laughed. I remember that line. Yeah.
1: So, Vivian Lee comes into town. I find Blanche DuBois to be one of the most insufferable characters. <laughs> playwright history
0: i feel bad for her but i don't know maybe it's because i read the play yeah. and i've seen it a couple of times and i don't know i felt i don't want to say my it reminded me of certain family members i have mm-hmm. but um maybe that's why i kind of connected to it just like like the the female character who has to like take care of her family and like even though she's got all this stuff going on in her head mm-hmm. that she's been through but she still has to her family's like Family members die off in the movie and everything. Yeah. Wait, can we talk about
1: strollers and something? Uh, yeah, that's fine. We okay. The movie's been out for <laughs> <that's six> <laughs> 5 years now. I'm sure we're probably okay. That's true. Or Anything 65 years, actually.
0: I just found it relatable as a woman, mm-hmm. maybe. I mean, she is like super annoying, like very needy. It's the Southern genteel way yeah. she's
1: talking and, and the way she's kind of putting on airs to impress her sister.
0: Yeah, but I like Blanche. I think that she is just really troubled and that she has great lines like the line about how she fell in love like all at once and much too completely like i love that and like how a bright light was turned on something that was always partially in shadow and the lighting in the movie is one of my favorite things like the chiaroscuro
1: and it was in, it's interesting that you say that i, I was thinking about it more after i saw it blanche are we, are we already assume that she's maybe in her early to mid 30s isn't that what we talked about or something like that
0: I think she might. I think she might supposed to be in her late thirties, early forties. Because uh-huh. Stella's probably, I would think thirty. Yeah. But um.
1: But being being that way, like I guess, back in the fifties, if you hit thirty, you were automatically an old maid or something. I don't know. But like you see the lighting on her face as she's becoming more and more, I guess, unravelled, and. That that line, I've always depended on the kindness of strangers, really hits home when you see how far she's sunken. And, you know, I say she's insufferable, but only in the fact of her presenting herself. Like, she is a truly tragic character.
0: I think also the way she acts is because she's a stage... Her... What is it? All the people in the play were in the stage performance. Yes, Vivian Lee especially. Was,
1: Was Marlon Brando in the stage production? I thought it might have been just Vivian Lee.
0: Like, he might have... Well, I know Mitch and Stella were... I don't know about everybody. Yeah. But, um...
1: That's really cool. Because huh? when you're on the
0: stage, you gotta like be super exaggerated, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that might have been carried over for the film version.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I forgot. Uh, so if you were if you were to pick, I know she had a bunch of lines, but if you were to pick a line from maybe maybe any character that stuck out in your mind, what do you think you would substitute something on the list for? Because we're gonna get to Hey Stella in a minute.
0: The falling in love line I think is great, but also this line they kind of have it a couple times is the woman. Selling metal flowers when she comes up a couple times saying, uh, Flores flores para los mortos, mm-hmm. which is flowers for the dead, which um, it always freaks out Blanche because, like, her dead lover is like what motivates her for the rest of her life, really. Yeah. So I think that was an interesting line. Like, and like, she comes out of the mist in that one scene. Oh man, that was <laughs> creepy. Like, just holding these metal flowers <laughs> saying, Flores.
1: She's actually uh, down on. Uh... On oh, no, DuPage Street, so
0: yeah, I thought it was just creepy because like remembrance and like having a metal flower for a dead person, like met like a metal flower is going to last forever, mm-hmm. you know. But they are truly dead. Yeah, they're <laughs> dead. So I think that juxtaposition was interesting.
1: One of my one of the lines that I thought was uh, was pretty decent was um, a line can be straight or a street, but the human heart, you know, takes many paths. Or I think something like that. Was that was a really good line yeah. too. And you know. The line I've always depended on the kindness of strangers, it kinda of struck a chord with me too, because I, I've I've known a few people who've been kind of headaches to a lot of people, and maybe you can relate to that or maybe not, but just the simple fact that if you can't if you can't pick yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, and you're always just dependent on so many other people, it's very easy to come unraveled and undone. especially and have a mental breakdown like she did, I feel. But, you know, at that same time, her sister was I guess kind of stuck with her to the very end.
0: Well, also she like depending on the kinds of strangers she talked about how the sister left the house right when the dad got like after the dad died or when the dad died. Another great line I thought was whenever she said death is pretty no funerals are pretty compared to death. That was a good one. So like she she couldn't depend on her family because they were dying and sick and like left her. So she had to depend on other people to take care of her. And I guess she didn't have any job capabilities because <laughs> she was talking so <laughs> she, she was just God. kept the estate yeah just talked really fast well, she was a teacher she, did. Uh, she was a teacher that's yeah. true for
1: they talked about women's weight and age a lot so that's definitely oh, that, yeah. that was definitely a sign of the times how
0: much do you weigh that was funny oh my gosh he just picks her up yeah how old are you oh man and, um, they definitely put like a filter on her though
1: yeah i think so have you ever seen that episode of seinfeld where his girlfriend looks better in certain light and totally like an ogre and otherwise. No. You haven't seen that one? It's hilarious. I wonder if that's I wonder if that served as any inspiration. So, what about the line Stella, hey Stella?
0: Oh, Marlon Brando. Yes. He is something in that movie.
1: He is definitely something.
0: I actually that scene is cuz he's like he just punched her or something. Like, yeah. he literally just punched he her just in the face. Off. He just haymaker. Because he was yeah. super drunk, and then she runs up to the neighbor who has been taking care of her whenever this happens, but he goes out and yells. Like, he looks for her all over the apartment, like, frantic, and he goes out and for her, and everyone's like, don't go down there, and then she does, and that face she makes, oh my god, it's so funny. <laughs> I mean, I guess everybody likes that line, because it's just like... Even though he beat her up, it's like they super love each other. And, like, yeah. even that, like, she'll overlook it because, like, their love is so strong. I, he, the way he delivers it is awesome. I mean, he gets on his knees, he's screaming. And, you know, another interesting thing is is
1: kind of just the, considering the list, the contrast of these two lines. Vivian Lee says it very stage-like, you know, filled with, you know, rhythm, prose, as the play should be. And then you have the raw, uncut Brando coming in. It's true blowing out the microphone. And it's really interesting to see the juxtaposition of those two things. You know, even on the same list, they both have they're both very impactful in their own right. One's maybe a little bit more subtle than the other, but they both have very wide-ranging implications, you know.
0: And like Vivian Lee, like depending on everyone else for her own happiness, like Stella and Stanley, like they are just so connected like even though they have all these problems, like he was always talking about how great it was before the sister got there. And, like, the Sistella freaking loves him. They were totally different backgrounds and everything, but, like, they kind of depend on each other. Interesting, yeah. yeah.
1: Singular singular kind of selfishness. Yeah. You know, even though it's totally messed up sometimes. I mean, very messed up. Domestic violence, but they still, you know, are apparently crazy about each other. And the first time he says it... Now, I was... Because I'd never read the play, and I, I hadn't seen the movie yet. The first time... Everything leading up to him striking her or him getting drunk, I was kind of Team Brando. I was like, all right, this guy's rough and tumble, you know, but imagine my surprise when he just hauls off and punches her. I'm just like, wow, that was gritty. And then she runs upstairs, and then I hear the line, and I think, okay, well, this is the first time you said it. You know, this probably isn't the, maybe the first time this has happened to them, but this is why the line's been on here, because she, she knows she's going to go back to him. He knows that he's sorry. You can hear it in his voice, but it's just a vicious cycle. They're doomed to repeat it day after day. You know.
0: Yep. Because I think later on, is that no? That is when he throws the radio.
1: No, I think that was uh, preceding time.
0: But yeah, he's very violent. Yes, very. But violent. he's also a babe. <laughs> so Daniel was telling me how they didn't have form-fitting shirts back then, so they had to specially make his shirt to fit him. <laughs>
1: So the first time he says it. Now, what about what are your thoughts about the second time he says it? Like, I know I said that it's you know doomed to repeat itself
0: at the end when she says yeah, she's but never you, coming back.
1: Right. But do you think there's any sort of extra meaning behind it the second time he says it, or you think they're just doomed from the very get go? I'm
0: gonna go with doomed.
1: Doomed. <laughs> it's a safe bet. Maybe
0: back in the 50s, I don't know. I guess violence was more domestic violence wasn't like that shocking. Yeah But I think so, maybe I mean, right... It's still commonplace but, Yeah Cause know, after something. that I think that's when she realizes Like oh my god He did rape my sister Everyone was right about him Like I'm an idiot And they had, <laughs> and they had a baby on the way Yeah They yeah. had a, they had the baby Yeah At that Crazy, god, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Oh the evening Whenever she's talking about The, the twilight hours To the newspaper boy comes in ah, and yes. she's like oh these hot afternoons in new orleans where an hour is like a little piece of eternity yeah, that was she, a, good yeah, that a good one too that was a
1: good time. and it's is that just her retreating back into her former self trying to seduce younger men or just...
0: well it's because whenever she fell in love with that first man she like fell in love with like that's who she like her one true love and he they were both young i think he was like 18, she was like 16. I don't think they t- say the age is really in the movie, mm-hmm. but um, they go more into it in the book. So I think she's always looking for that, like young and full of hope, like how young people are these days. There's something to get hurt. You know? <laughs> yeah. So she's always trying to fill that hole that he left.
1: And something that you said in the car on the way back, and I wrote it down because it was this is a quote by you, Callie. You said, you know, the movie's really about making your own truth. Do you remember saying that? I do remember saying that. Would you maybe agree that the last Stella, hey, Stella, and Stella decides, well, I'm not going back to him at all, do you think that anything that Blanche had said or done finally rubbed off on Stella, or do you think this was her own personal decision to to make? I mean, I know that there are outside circumstances, you know, him him raping her and Raping Blanche, I mean. I feel don't. like
0: Stella wouldn't have made that decision if Blanche hadn't come in and like that hadn't happened. Like I don't, I think she would have just kept getting hit in the face by him, and she would have stayed with him. Yeah. But I think finally, like realizing that, like that happened, and everyone in the room, you could tell, like all of his friends were looking at him, like you did this, like this is your fault. Towards the end is when they really like the whole making her truth thing, like how she always had the lantern covering her face because she just want to be shown in full light to mm-hmm. like keep up the illusion that she's young. And then um, Marlon Brando, before he rapes her, he calls her the Queen of the Nile, which is like Queen of Denial. He's, the way he says it, it sounds like Queen of Denial. Like, Interesting. And I she is, like, she denies all this stuff about her, like, making up all these stories about her being a, home, a parade queen and, like, how she's going to go to this yacht with this rich oil man.
1: Oh, she has on the old Mardi Gras dress. Yeah,
0: And then... The neighbor says, "But she tells Stella, like you can't believe this, like you have to believe what you have to to keep living with Marlon Brando, yeah, so like the end that was more of kind of they focus on like you have to make your own truth to survive, you have to believe what you have to believe to get through the day
1: and either she stopped believing or something else happened, and she came unwound at the very end. All the mental stresses just piled up and i'm I'm certainly the- se- i'm certain the sexual assault really set that overboard you know yeah
0: and having all the truth come out because Marlon Brando Stanley like remember he calls all the people he knew yeah he, Mar- like, he had some connections though yeah I don't even know what his his job was but he did get the truth out of her and I think that she was whenever she finally was faced with like this is what you did like you did have sex with the underage kid like you got you were in a brothel yeah and she was just like, oh my God, she just got crushed by her own fruits.
1: Yeah. So has anything ever set off any kind of emotional trigger in you to maybe like, you've seen somebody's past actions, you've maybe lived vicariously through them and have, you know, tried to avoid making the same mistakes or, you know, moved on, been been mentally tough through a situation, anything like that?
0: I think so. With a certain relationship that's big in my life, I just do the opposite of what they do, and that's pretty much how I live. It's like, whatever they do, I'm going to do the opposite, because (laughs) they're crazy. I mean, everyone makes their own mistakes, and I know whenever I was a freshman, not a freshman, what was I, a junior, my first boyfriend, I was like delusional. I was like, oh, this is great, like, this is going to be awesome, and it was terrible.
1: Did he wear a custom form-fitting shirt? (laughs) No.
0: (laughs) Oh my god. I definitely, and people will tell you things like, like, I guess how everyone was telling Stella, like, you know, this guy's abusing you, like, because Blanche definitely told him, like, over and over again, like, he's an ape, he's an ape, but people just keep putting a blinder on, like, to what other people say.
1: Yeah, cognitive dissonance type
0: stuff. And then one day, it just, I don't know what it is, it just, you, finally, the blinders go, and you're like, okay, you guys are right, I made bad choices, (laughs) here we go.
1: Final thoughts on the movie? We get we gave several lines um, that that had some you know better weight to them I think but I think I've always depended on the kindness of strangers usually closing lines they try to make those the most impactful obviously mm-hmm. and then just the rawness of the Stella hey Stella all the implications that are behind it you know this may this, this they're doomed to do this over and over again until somebody winds up either dead or divorced you know I
0: think the lighting line too about how she was talking about the the whenever she fell in love with the one guy. Everything was blinding light. And then after he died, she's never seen anything in more than a candlelight. That just line, that whole. I feel so bad for like, Yeah, right? I mean, it's just so sad. Like, always living in a fog where, like, you can't really see what's going on and, like, nothing feels like full. Everything's like you're living a half life, you know, like, that's.
1: What is Love, Callie? And don't say a song by Hathaway. <laughs>
0: Baby, don't hurt me. No. I don't know. Love sucks. It makes people do crazy things. You make these decisions that it's just like, what is wrong with me?
1: I appreciate Callie's time and soul bearing this week. This week's episode was produced by me, Cooper Powers, as part of the Rogue Intel Podcast Network. Go to RogueIntel.com and check out the other great family of podcasts and content we have in store for you. I know you're a tech-savvy listener, so if you do the social media thing, I'm on there too. You can find me streaming on Rogan Tells website on my show page, Unquote, or on Twitter, at Unquote PC. And if you have any suggestions for the show, feel free to send me an email. That's UnquotePodcast at gmail.com. Musical considerations provided by Bensound.com, high-quality intro and outro music, as well as YouTube user CalicoCat111 for the awesome Nazareth Love Hurts piano cover. That's Calico Cat, spelled with K's. That does it for this week. Join me next week for the 10th episode. Yes, the 10th episode of Unquote. I'm excited. I hope you guys are too. Until then, I'm Cooper Powers, and keep the film rolling. Backed by popular demand. Well, okay. I think it's hilarious. This is another Unquote post roll. Enjoy.
0: Chef Daniel on here to do his Marlon Brandon voice. It's pretty funny.
1: <laughs> hey, Dan. Don't, uh, me. Dan, come do your Brando. Uh, Dan declined. Maybe next time. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?